Well, folks, good afternoon. Right now it's 106, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, which is dePietro.com. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Puppet Eatery. Hey, here we go. What's that? You hungry right now? Well, folks, pop in. Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Lunch, dinner, or drinks in the lounge. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Well, folks, we're standing by. I want to carry some of the opening statements that we're going to have regarding this uh, January 6th uh, hearing. And because I, you know what, why not? It's um, it's important, and I want to hear how they're they're going to come out with this. And it is the, um, this is it. I mean, this is so. so we'll hear some of it. I don't think it's going to be anything new. It it does seem to be um, moving towards that they want to recommend some kind of a a criminal charge here. What I, as someone that has followed it, I I admit I I think it was. Um, Let's see. There's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I don't know if there was anything that was flattering to President Trump, to put it mildly. But I think um, some things that, that came into play that were not helpful to him were the fact of that he was essentially not doing anything when... When all of this was was happening, so so they're starting right now. I think it would be um, I think it'd be important to hear some of this. So I want to carry. Let's hear just some of this January sixth hearing that is uh, taking place right now, and um, and then obviously this is then going to um, go. All right, let's let's hear a little bit of this. America. To cast a vote in the United States is an act of faith and hope. When we drop that ballot in the ballot box, we expect the people named on the ballot are going to uphold their end of the deal. The winner swears an oath and upholds it. Those who come up short ultimately accept the results and abide by the rule of law. That faith in our system is the foundation of American democracy. If the faith is broken, so is our democracy. Donald Trump broke that faith. He lost the 2020 election and knew it. But he chose to try to stay in office through a multi-part scheme to overturn the results and block the transfer of power. In the end, He summoned a mob to Washington, and knowingly they were armed and angry, pointed them to the Capitol and told them to fight like hell. There's no doubt about this. This afternoon, my colleagues will present our key findings, reminding you of some of the information we presented in earlier hearings and telling you how it fits in our broader conclusions. Those conclusions have helped shape the committee's final report, which we'll adopt today pursuant to House Resolution 503, which establishes the select committee nearly a year and a half ago. I expect our final work will be filed with the clerk of the House and made public later this week. Beyond that release, the select committee intends to make public 
the bulk of its non-sensitive records before the end of the year. These transcripts and documents will allow the American people to see for themselves the body of evidence we've gathered and continue to explore the information that has led us to our conclusions. This committee is nearing the end of its work. But as the country, we remain in strange and uncharted waters. We've never had a president of the United States stir up a violent attempt to block the transfer of power. I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. How do we stop it? This committee will lay out a number of recommendations in this final report. But beyond any specific details and recommendations we present, there's one factor I believe is most important in preventing another January 6th, accountability. So today, beyond our findings, we will also show that evidence we've gathered points to further action beyond the power of this committee or the Congress to help ensure accountability under law. Accountability that can only be found in the criminal justice system. We have every confidence that the work of this committee will help provide a roadmap to justice and that the agencies and institutions responsible for ensuring justice under the law will use the information we provided to aid in their work. And for those of you who have followed this committee's work, I hope we've helped make clear that there's a broader kind of accountability. Accountability to all of you, the American people. The future of our democracy rests in your hands. It's up to the people of this country to decide who deserves the public trust. Who will put fidelity to the Constitution and democracy above all else? Who will abide by the rule of law, no matter the outcome? I'm grateful to the millions of you who followed this committee's work. I hope we lived up to our commitment to present the facts and let the facts speak for themselves. Let me say in closing, the women and men seated around me on this dais are public servants in the most genuine sense. They put aside politics and partisanship to ensure the success of this committee in providing answers to the American people. I especially want to thank and acknowledge our vice chair, who has become a true partner in this bipartisan effort, Ms. Cheney of Wyoming. And I also recognize her for any opening statement that she care to offer. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your, your tremendous leadership of this committee. I know we all have benefited uh, greatly from, from your wisdom and your wise counsel, so thank you very much. In April of 1861, when Abraham Lincoln issued the first call for volunteers for the Union Army, my great-great-grandfather, Samuel Fletcher Cheney, joined the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry. He fought through all four years of the Civil War, from Chickamauga to Stones River to Atlanta. He marched with his unit in the Grand Review of Troops up Pennsylvania Avenue in May of 1865.
Alaska Reviewing Stand where President Johnson and General Grant were seated. Silas Canfield, the regimental historian of the 21st Ohio Volunteer Infantry, described the men in the unit this way. He said they had a just appreciation of the value and advantage of free government and the necessity of defending and maintaining it. And they enlisted, prepared to accept all the necessary labors, fatigues, exposures, dangers, and even death for the unity of our nation and the perpetuity of our institutions. I have found myself thinking often, especially since January 6th, of my great-great-grandfather and all those in every generation who have sacrificed so much for the unity of our nation and the perpetuity of our institutions. At the heart of our republic is the guarantee of the peaceful transfer of power. Members of Congress are reminded of this every day as we pass through the Capitol Rotunda. There, eight magnificent paintings detail the earliest days of our republic. One, painted by John Trumbull, depicts the moment in 1793 when George Washington resigned his commission, handing control of the Continental Army back to Congress. Trumbull called this, quote, one of the highest moral lessons ever given the world. With this noble act, George Washington established the indispensable example of the peaceful transfer of power in our nation. Standing on the west front of the Capitol in 1981, President Ronald Reagan described it this way. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place, as it has for almost two centuries, and few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony that we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority, except one. January 6, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. In our work over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has recognized our obligation to do everything we can to ensure this never happens again. At the beginning of our investigation, we understood that tens of millions of Americans had been persuaded by President Trump that the 2020 election was stolen by overwhelming fraud. And we also knew this was flatly false. We knew that dozens of state and federal judges had addressed and resolved all manner of allegations about the election. Our legal system functioned as it should, but our president would not accept the outcome. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. For hours, he would not issue a public statement instructing his supporters to disperse and leave the Capitol, despite urgent pleas from his White House staff and dozens of others to do so. Members of his family, his White House lawyers, virtually all those around him knew that this simple act was critical. For hours, he would not do it. During this time, law enforcement agents were attacked and seriously injured. The Capitol was invaded, the Electoral Count was halted, 
and the lives of those in the Capitol were put at risk. In addition to being unlawful as described in our report, this was an utter moral failure and a clear dereliction of duty. Evidence of this can be seen in the testimony of President Trump's own White House counsel and several other White House witnesses. No man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. Wow. The committee recognizes that our work has only begun. It's only the initial step in addressing President Trump's effort to remain in office illegally. Prosecutors are considering the implications of the conduct that we describe in our report, as are citizens all across our nation. In 1761, John Adams wrote, the very ground of our liberties is the freedom of elections. Faith in our elections and the rule of law is paramount to our republic. Election deniers, those who refuse to accept lawful election results, purposely attack the rule of law and the foundation of our country. The history of our time will show that the bravery of a handful of Americans doing their duty saved us from an even more grave constitutional crisis. Elected officials, election workers, and public servants stood against Donald Trump's corrupt pressure. Many of our committee's witnesses showed selfless patriotism, and their words and courage will be remembered. The brave men and women of the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and all the other law enforcement officers who fought to defend us that day saved lives and our democracy. Finally, I wish to thank my colleagues on this committee. It has been a tremendous honor to serve with all of you. We have accomplished great and important things together, and I hope we have set an example. And I also want to thank all of those who have honorably contributed to the work of our committee and to our report. We have accomplished much over a short period of time. Many of you sacrificed for the good of our nation. You have helped make history, and I hope helped to right the ship. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Gentlelady yields back. As you know, this is our final meeting of our committee. Over the course of the last year and a half, we presented evidence in 10 public hearings, testimony from our brave law enforcement officers, senior White House, and campaign officials, and many others. Today, we are prepared to share our final findings with you. But before we do so, it's important to remember what we've learned and critically exactly what happened at the United States Capitol on January 6th. Without objection, I include in the record a video presentation uh -oh. of some of the key evidence our investigation has uncovered. All right, folks, I, um, again, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I always like to be a little cautious uh, when they start doing some of the video because we don't know um, exactly what some of the language might be without question. So um, so we'll go easy. I, they watch the language for the most part during the, the course of everything. I think I, I want to hear exactly what what they're going to say what they're going to come out with 
Um, and then some of the testimony that that came forward, again, as much as um, there, a, a lot of people may dismiss this. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think some of it, so much of it has just been theater. So much, so much of it has just been a show. Um, and I'm not going to, as, as other people have stated, if, if they really wanted to bring charges, I'm certainly not convinced that they would need, that they would need, you know, this committee in order to tell them that they should bring charges. So, uh, but, but as we're coming up on, it'll be the two year anniversary coming up on January 6th. I think if you want to be objective, if you want to be objective, I, th- I think you do have to step back. And I, I was on air that day. I still, let's see, it was November 2020 was the election. Around Christmas, everything was really bubbling up. And then, you know, to this day, I regret not not going to the speech. And then that would have led to everything at, at the Capitol. I was going to go. I had had COVID. And then one of my children had COVID. And someone I was supposed to go with then did not want to go. And so when when the new year arrived, January of 21, and then it was all leading up to that day, obviously now I wish I had gone and could have captured so much of that. But what I, I think is also lost in here is <clears throat> the uh, the element of, of our elections, the fear election and blah, blah, blah. You know, folks, this th- that has now become the new narrative. If you in any way question an election result, you are, quote, an election denier. And and that, I think, is one of the the real downsides of, of this whole thing, if not the biggest, because our our election system now is so imperfect. I think it's it's just become ludicrous with all these um, all these mail ballots and the ballot harvesting. I know. And, and the other side, they're so aggressive. The other side, the, the Democrat Party, they're so aggressive if you in any way mention that you think there's something suspicious about the results, what do they immediately say? Where's the where's the evidence? Where's your evidence of voter fraud? Blah, 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 blah. Um, this system, and I have said, this system where the campaigns are collecting ballots. And keep in, in mind in Rhode Island, we're, we're an outlier compared to other other states. Um, I I think as we've had time to really digest it, what what I believe was a true mistake for the Trump campaign was Sid Powell, Mike Flynn, Lynn Wood, Giuliani to an extent out there. Claiming that they that you know the Dominion machines that there was a button you click, and that flips all the Biden votes to Trump votes, and and it kind of became like a rack with the weapons of mass destruction, right? Like, remember, if you really go back to the Iraq War, we're all waiting for each day. It was like, oh wow, did they find them yet? 
did they find them yet? And that's, to me, what it became, as if they set it up that they were going to deliver this unbelievable, you know, that famous interview, infamous, of, of Lou Dobbs with Sidney Powell with, we're going to release the Kraken and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and they they sold it very, very strong. But in the end, we know it wasn't delivered. So my point is, I, I mean, I think that was a mistake to kind of make these promises um, as opposed to there's definitely something unusual about it. And we know in Rhode Island, I mean, the ballot harvesting now is is crazy. And then there was the film, The 2000 Mules, that I think 80% of that film is accurate. But there's 20, about 20% of it that just goes off the rails that can't be proven. And then they get into the conspiracy stuff. So we know that locally, Rhode Island has a different... <clears throat> Excuse me. We know locally Rhode Island are the the campaigns involved with the ballot harvesting. That that's why Governor McKee is the governor right now. Helena folks won on primary day, but then he won because of three thousand collected ballots from the unions, and that's where we sit right now. So, as I have said from the beginning, I um. I think, no, I think our laws are, are way too lax. I agree with those that say, you know, the other side, they're so disingenuous, like, oh, well, no one would ever cheat. No one would ever vote twice. No one would ever fill out a bet. There was a lot of that going on. So I think, I don't know. I mean, we'll never know if it was would have been enough to overturn an election and the, the election for President Trump, but there was definitely, um, you know, the voting was unusual, to put it mildly. And then now now here we sit with this whole business with the mail ballots, which I, 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 I have a problem with. I don't believe, first of all, these, these ballots never hit the mail. I'm not trying to be redundant, but they're not real, quote, mail ballots. They're, they're nowhere near being mailed. They're, they're collected. They're collected. They help them fill them out. And, and it, it becomes, and I also think the Rhode Island Republican Party, and I know they don't like it, but they've done a lousy job explaining they did have that opportunity this past year when Chairwoman Susie Yankee had that press conference with State Senator Jessica De La Cruz, who's now the Senate Minority Leader. And they, quite frankly, and I like both of them and respect both of them, but they did a pretty lousy job. What well, They had the full attention of the media at the press conference and did a pretty lousy job explaining it. And, and Susie Yankee, the GOP chairwoman, who I know and like and respect, but she was then even on... I think it was 10 news conference after the election. No, no, it was all legit. They don't mention the fact that the union nurses wouldn't let Republicans into the nursing homes and some of the assisted living centers and so forth. And so, therefore, it was a, it was a terrible, it was a ridiculous advantage for the Democrat Party in that particular situation. The Republicans couldn't, couldn't get in. They couldn't, they couldn't get in to <clears throat> make their case. 
They were shut out. So, folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show on this Monday, good afternoon, one and all, as we are at Christmas week. And this portion of our show is brought to you by Limitless Outdoors. You know, this, why not think of your property right now? Limitless Outdoors. You can call them, free quote, 401 480-1852. Let's talk about your house, your property. What can they help you with? Well, they specialize in patios. Have Have you thought, you know, I'd like to add a fire pit. Or I'd like to add an outdoor kitchen to my home. And I'd like to use my outside more. That a lot of people say it is kind of nice. I'd like to you have an outdoor fireplace, walkways, patios, outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls. Folks, give them a call. Limitless Outdoors. It's limitless what you can do. I have a friend and he used Limitless Outdoors. And remember, their slogan is dream, build, enjoy. He has set up. This is like he's added a second home on his property. He has the whole thing. He has it set up. He is able to use it. He hasn't yet figured out how to use it in the snow, but he's getting closer. Um, But he has a full outdoor kitchen, living area, fireplace, beautiful patio set up. It's like he has a summer home. And he says in the summer, they spend so much time out there. A full, and and he's he's utilizing his outdoor. Folks, Limitless Outdoors, call them today. Free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, because remember, it is limitless what you can do outside. Get a free quote and look for them on Facebook. Limitless Outdoors, they're based right in Smithfield. Well, folks, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our show is brought to you by Falcon Pest Services. Now, remember, pests can be a problem all year long. If you have a pest problem, it's Falcon Pest Services, 401-739-1322. Residential and commercial Falcon Pest Services, 401-739-1322. Serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass, Pest Control Services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats, any pest in your home or a condo or apartment, or single-family home, or business. Falcon, Falcon Pest Services. Call for a free consultation. And they have different programs, whether it's a one-time, or a monthly, or quarterly, or year-round protection. Falcon Pest Services. Call them right now, 401-739-1322. Folks, good afternoon at one thirty-three. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Now, I want to dip back into this is the January 6th hearing. I just want to hear what they're going to come out with. This is their final hearing, I believe. Including the U.S. Supreme Court. Let's hear this. We've taken the testimony this is live. of hundreds of witnesses. Now, while we couldn't show them all during the hearings, we 
focused on those who are most, most central, including our ex-president's White House aides, his senior Department of Justice officials, and senior members of his campaign. Based on this assembled evidence, the Select Committee has reached a series of specific findings. Now, many of these findings pertain to what has been called the big lie, the enormous effort led by ex-President Trump to spread baseless accusations and misinformation in an attempt to falsely convince tens of millions of Americans that the election had been stolen from him. Beginning even before the election and continuing through January 6th and thereafter, Donald Trump purposely disseminated false allegations of fraud in order to aid his effort to overturn the 2020 election. Ex-President Trump's decision to declare victory falsely on election night wasn't a spontaneous decision. Mm. It was premeditated. And frankly, we the did win the election. that ex-President Trump planned to declare victory and unlawfully to call for the vote counting to stop. And that he told numerous allies about his intent in the weeks before the election. The committee found that Mr. Trump raised hundreds of millions of dollars with false representations made to his online donors. The proceeds from his fundraising, we have learned, have been used in ways that we believe are concerning. In particular, the committee has learned that some of those funds were used to hire lawyers. We've also obtained evidence of efforts to provide or offer employment to witnesses. For example, one lawyer told a witness the witness could, in certain circumstances, tell the committee that she didn't recall facts when she actually did recall them. That lawyer also did not disclose who was paying for the lawyer's representation, despite questions from the client seeking that information. He told her, quote, we're not telling people where funding is coming from right now. We've learned that a client was offered potential employment that would make her, quote, financially very comfortable as the date of her testimony approached by uh, entities that were apparently linked to Donald Trump and his associates. These offers were withdrawn or didn't materialize as reports of the content of her testimony circulated. The witness believed this was an effort to affect her testimony, and we are concerned that these efforts may have been a strategy to prevent the committee from finding the truth. Throughout the post-election period, ex-President Trump was told repeatedly by his campaign advisors, government officials, and others there was no evidence to support his claims of election fraud. Even since our last hearing, the Select Committee has obtained testimony from new witnesses who've come forward to tell us about their conversations with ex-President Trump on this topic. Here is one of his senior advisors, Hope Hicks. Seeing evidence of fraud on a scale that would have impacted the outcome of the election, and I was becoming increasingly concerned that we were damaging um, we were damaging his legacy. Uh, what did the president say in response to what you just described? He said something along the lines of, um, you know, nobody will care about my legacy if I lose. Um, 
so that won't matter. Um, the only thing that matters is is winning. Despite all that, he continued to purposely and maliciously make false claims, sometimes within a day of being told that a particular claim was false and unsupported by the evidence. By the time the Electoral College met to cast his votes on December 14, 2020, a number of President Trump's senior staff, cabinet officials, and members of his family were urging him to facilitate a peaceful transition to the incoming administration. He disregarded their advice, and he continued to claim publicly that the election had been stolen from him. Numerous state and federal courts evaluated and rejected the Trump campaign's claims of voter fraud, including 11 judges appointed by ex-President Trump himself. Many of these courts issued scathing opinions, criticizing the lack of evidence that ex-President Trump and his allies had advanced to support their claims. Numerous individuals associated with these efforts have since acknowledged that they were unable to find sufficient evidence of fraud to affect the election results, including in testimony to this select committee. Still, ex-President Trump repeated those false claims and tried to convince his supporters the election was stolen. This was an attempt to justify overturning the lawful election results. Donald Trump knowingly and corruptly repeated election fraud lies, which incited his supporters to violence on January 6th. He continues to repeat his meritless claim that the election was stolen even today and continues to erode our most cherished and shared belief in free and fair elections. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Gentlewoman yields back. Chair recognizes the gentleman from California, Mr. Shift, for an opening statement. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Shifty shift. Building on his constant repetition of the big lie, President Trump engaged in an unprecedented effort to obstruct the joint session on January 6th, the proceeding where his electoral loss would be certified by Congress. This effort began in part in the states, which hold, count, and ultimately determine the winners of presidential elections. Many state officials were targeted by President Trump and his campaign. The local election workers he accused baselessly of election fraud. The state officials he pressured to stop the count or to find votes that didn't exist. And the state legislative officials he urged to disregard the popular will of the voters and their oath of office in order to name him the winner instead. Here are the select committee findings about President Trump's state pressure campaign. President Trump and his enablers repeatedly pressured state officials to take action to overturn the results of the election. The most dramatic example of this campaign of coercion was the president's January 2nd, 2021 call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, in which the president urged the secretary to find 11,780 votes he needed to change the outcome in that state. During that call, President Trump again repeated conspiracy theories about the election that his own appointees at the Department of Justice had already debunked. Trump also made what Secretary Raffensperger apparently considered a threat, accurately considered a threat, suggesting that Raffensperger and his attorney, that they could be subject to criminal prosecution if they didn't follow through with his demands. Then. In repeated telephone calls and in-person meetings, 
Donald Trump pressured state elections officials and state legislators to alter official election results. Here we go. Nice and clean. Sorry about that, JR. Not exactly sure what happened with that, but right now we are uh, good to go. Uh, believe we are nice and solid, folks. You're listening. Just need the thumbs up from uh, JR. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online. Right now it's 145. 145. It is uh, 145 on this Monday. Sorry about that, folks. You know, I, I just don't know where any all of this is leading. Right. We know and, and you get a sense there's, there's, uh these people are all getting these final licks in, so to speak, on President Trump. But I'm not convinced that that's where the country is. And also, folks, as listen, the president, President Trump is is, I think, doing the right thing right now by just lying low. The the, the campaign's not underway. Right. Like, I believe and I was speaking with one of his uh, inner circle at the end of last week. And I told them, I think he should try to enjoy Christmas and enjoy the new year uh, and, and make sure that his health is good and do the best he can to enjoy himself with his family. Because whatever's going to play out with the course of the campaign, is, uh, it's certainly not happening right now. There's, there's nothing to be done. So, all right, so he announced, and then they had that infamous dinner now with Kanye West, and then all hell broke loose. But there's no reason right now, you know, to to even be out there. He should be enjoying himself, enjoying the family, enjoying his family, I should say, uh, whatever he wants to do, and just take it easy right now, and then let's see how things start to develop in the new year. Now, in the first six months of the new year, even still, he he announced he was running for president in 2015, in June of 2015. And then immediately after that is when he started, you know, he immediately went to New Hampshire. He went to Iowa. That was the first time we started to see the the jet in action. This time it's different. This time, you know, he's he's the favorite. He's the one that's known. So let, let's just let this process play out. I think th- there's an, a, a great number of people right now that are already, you know, kind of announcing they're with DeSantis. And so we're Governor DeSantis of Florida. And I'm just going to, you know, remind people, you got to let this whole thing play out. I don't know. At some point, if everything stays the way it is, I would think we're going to see several people that want to run for president as a Republican, and we're going to see them on a debate stage. And then when when you start to all hear them all together, that's when then you can make a decision. So 
But right now, and, and then what I mean by that is the position will become clearer. They're all going to try to hustle to get attention for themselves, for their campaigns, different ideas they have. Uh, DeSantis is doing that now, as is, I think, Mike Pompeo. So I think some of the numbers we're hearing right now, the Florida governor, he's a force. And for someone who has not sought uh, national office, he, you know, certainly has the name recognition. Governor DeSantis right now, there are certain people also that are benefiting from exposure on Fox. And that is in the form of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in the form of the Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, and also former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Those are the three that I see right now. So, you know, I I don't think this January 6th thing is going to amount to anything. I did want to just dip in. I wasn't sure if they'd have anything new. And, of course, they they don't have any. It's all a lot of the same characters. So, and, and as far as Liz Cheney now is on a mission to do whatever she can to try to, I don't know, be relevant again. So uh, we we you just have to let this process play out. I am more interested to see what's going to happen. There are a number of governors signing this letter saying the COVID federal money should come to an end. Now, Governor Baker signed it. Governor Sununu, he's another one to watch. People are mentioning him possibly for higher office. He's you see him a lot on the national shows. How would Governor Sununu do on the national stage? I don't know. Let's wait and see and if he ends up pulling the trigger. He he'll do well in New Hampshire, I would think. So I'm sure they think that that is in fact uh, you know, that certainly gives him an advantage. But I like I said, I don't want to be a broken record here. I don't know. They, they, it's it's not an easy job. I mean, I I don't. I think what's there's several things that are, that have my focus more. Number one is situation at the border is disgraceful. What's happening right now? That's number one. Number two, um, this federal money. That's when Governor McKee is going to have to. That's when he's going to have to really start to govern. Because as long as all the COVID federal money is flowing in, and I I agree with those. I don't understand why it's still flooding in. But Governor McKee basically said as long as he would be the last state, if they said all every other state is now said, nope, the emergency is over. We don't need any more. Governor McKee will still keep taking the federal money because if, if the federal money is flying in, which it has been, then they don't have to govern. That crisis at the border and the ending of the federal money. Those are, are two areas to watch. Governor McKee doesn't know what it's like to have to cut a budget. Governor McKee doesn't know what it's like to say we don't we can't afford it. We don't have the money for it. Look at the fact that the mayor of New York City, folks, and again, good afternoon at 151. You're listening to the John DePietro show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. The the mayor of New York City is requesting one billion dollars because there are 12 I think it's 12 to 15 buses with illegals from the border that are on their way to New York City and that's how much he's requesting and the situation in El Paso it is a crisis that is an open border it's disgraceful it should not be going on 
That is something that should give all Americans pause. And of course, you're not, you don't hear any talk about it locally. You don't hear any talk about it locally. Uh, what do you think? Of course, these people are going to want to go to the schools and send their kids to the schools. And of course, they're going to need housing. And of course, and many of them are not in the best of health and they need medical treatment. I mean, and then they want to have their family come over. So that remains a focal point. And I think once Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker and, and if he is going to become speaker, because that certainly doesn't seem guaranteed right now. It doesn't. Andy Biggs and Matt Gates, and there's still some of these never Kevin. It's five of them. I know Mark Levin was ripping into them, calling them. Uh, they're just saboteurs and they're idiots. And to be blocking him and they're obstructionists. Mark Levin, I think on his Fox show, was just going off on them. But... Um, but we don't know. We don't know where that's where that's going to go. There are there are people like that. They 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 are elected. They have a strong base. Uh, they think everyone's wrong except them. They're not looking to govern. They're looking to just obstruct. But they they are organized and they have a voice without question, folks. This portion of the John DePietro show at one fifty three on this Monday. And it's brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery. Friends are coming in town. You want to get together? Pop by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Now, folks, on this Monday, I talked about this in the first hour. That was um, that was quite an ending to the Patriots game. That, that was a tough one. Uh, I'm looking at the Boston Globe right now. Week 15 review. It's looking sadly like the end of an era for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Brady had been 89-0 and in his career at home when leading by 17 points. And that ended yesterday to a younger quarterback with the Cincinnati Bengals. And then the Patriot, you know, the Patriot, um, these are headlines. Patriot lost to Raiders was unfathomable even as was happening before our stunned eyes. Jacoby Myers said he was trying to improvise, turned into a disaster. Patriots come to Jacoby Myers' aid, but there's no defending their play and a shocking loss to the Raiders. I'm waiting for the Dan Shaughnessy column. But the Globe are calling it the dumbest play in Patriots history leads to one of the worst losses ever. I, it's, it, it's hard to argue the season's not over, but I come back to the final play calling on that final drive was atrocious. So uh, I, I don't, you know, and also the, the element of, here's what also, here's what also I think is interesting that I know the, the sports people are not talking about, and that is, the fact that Matt Patricia is the offensive coordinator. You just wonder, is Belichick forced to give him employment? Because remember, employment's, employment's, employment buys silence. And he's been around for a while, that Matt Patricia, Matty P. It was a disaster with the Lions. Think of the situation now. Belichick's got his son as the running the defense. He's got Patricia running the offense, even though he's clearly not up to it. 
the play calling yesterday was was atrocious. But he knows a lot. He knows what Ernie Adams was doing. He was there through all of it. You just wonder. Employment can buy silence. Uh, hey, if you don't give me a job, I'm going to be unemployed. Maybe I'll write a book. Oh, okay. In that case, you can be the offensive coordinator. Very, very odd. Former mob boss Cadillac Frank dies in prison at age 89 years old. 89 in prison. His death was not immediately clear. He died last Tuesday, apparently. Um, he received a mandatory life sentence after he and Paul Weedlick, plumber from Burlington, convicted the 2018 killing of 43-year-old. Hey, we covered that. Stephen DeSaro. The nightclub owner of the, of the uh, Father of Five, 1993, owner of the channel, was killed. He would fear he would cooperate in a federal investigation into their activities. His son, Nick Tassaro, said the family was notified Sunday about the death via an email. The world's a better place without him. He, Salemi survived the gang wars, during which he later admitted to killing eight people. He spent 16 years in prison. For maiming Everett lawyer John Fitzgerald, he blew up his car in 1968. Fitzgerald lost his leg in the attack, later moved to South Dakota, became a judge. He died of heart surgery at the age of 69 in 2001. Mike DeSaro, another DeSaro's son, Salemi's death marks the end of a long chapter. After his release, he became a made man in 1988. A year later, he survived a shooting by a renegade mob faction outside that Saugus pancake house. Cadillac Frank was shot in the chest and the legs, carried the bullet fragments in his body. Whew. In January 95, he fled the region after he was indicted in a sweeping federal racketeering case with Bulger. But he got tipped off, and then he began cooperating with the government in the late 90s. Cadillac DeSaro was a businessman bought the channel with his stepson in the early 1990s. Salemi and his son had a hidden interest in the business. It was Flemmy who first linked Salemi to DeSaro's murder for investigators. Salemi's serving a life sentence for 10 murders. Testified he stopped by Salemi's house in Sharon May 10th, 1993. Saw Salemi's son strangling DeSaro while Wiedek held his legs and Salemi looked on. I remember that from the testimony. And then they buried him. In uh, They buried him in Providence, right off Branch Avenue. So that was part of that whole, that whole trial with, um, with Bobby DeLuca's brother. Folks, at 159, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. We will be doing Facebook Live later. Paul Wiedek is serving his life sentence in Pennsylvania, according to the uh, Bureau of Prisons. So... Uh, he was in prison in Brooklyn, moved to a federal, federal medical facility in Missouri. So, all right, listen, uh, coming up is going to be the 2 o'clock news. You're going to hear about the January 6th committee hearing, but it's just more of the same. It's an old rehash. I don't think it goes anywhere. They can recommend whatever they want, but in the end, I don't think it goes anywhere. We're back later. I'll be back on the radio tomorrow at 11. Stay tuned for the 2 o'clock news. This is WNRI One Socket.